Thank you everyone for the introduction. And uh, next we have the keynote speech and presentation on the vision of CTA by Honorable Sikyong Tempa Srinna. Hola. With your permission, I'll sit here and speak. I think it's better that you all also sit in your place and speak. That will make it much comfortable for everybody. And uh, we don't need to be very, very formal. Uh, we can be informal uh, at times. So thank you very much on behalf of my colleagues and the 16th Kashak. Uh, I want to extend a very warm welcome to all of you. Uh, as much as I understand, this is the second donors conference. The first donors conference was held uh, during the 12th cabinet uh, when Professor Sangamrishi was the chief of the cabinet. And uh, there has not been too many donor conferences. The very reason why Our struggle for the freedom of Tibet survives today is mainly because of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. That every one of us knows. And because of his leadership, because of his uh, visionary thoughts, we are here. If it had not been for His Holiness the Dalai Lama crossing over the Indian border on 31st of March 1959, the very few Tibetans who have been living in Kalimpong and Dajdeng those days would have been sent back by the Indian government. So as soon as the news reached that His Holiness the Dalai Lama had arrived on the Indian soil on 31st March, then the Indian government also allowed the Tibetans in Kalimpong and Dajdeng to stay back. And that is the reason why we have a diaspora community today who is responsible for taking the Tibetan freedom movement forward. So, and this of course, you, you all know that we look at the Tibetans inside Tibet for inspiration. And we are all very proud to say that the spirit of the Tibetans inside Tibet is still very strong. It has not been broken, even though China's, China uses all kinds of repressive measures, including artificial intelligence, to control people. Uh, but I will not dwell on these issues because that is quite a lot of things to talk about. But if we do have time, then we can uh, talk about this at a different session. Or if you have time staying back over the days, then we can speak about these issues as well. But today, uh, and then you also know that the Tibetans inside Tibet look at His Holiness the Dalai Lama and the Central Tibetan Administration for inspiration and encouragement for them to carry forward their movement inside Tibet. So it's a reciprocity of inspirations. Uh, by Tibetans inside to the Tibetans outside and His Holiness and the Central Tibetan Administration the Tibetans in exile uh, encouraging the Tibetans inside to carry forward the movement. And uh, one of the reasons is of course without financial support this movement could not have gone as ahead as it has gone. So it's thanks to uh, more particularly the government of India and its people because Indian government has been very, very supportive from the time that we came into exile till now in the last 64, 65 years. And it's because of India's support, Indian government support and cooperation that we have managed to establish all our democratic institutions in exile. And we are also thankful to the United States government who is our second largest donor 
for supporting us in building our uh, resilience and self-reliance. Uh, and the uh, amount of support that is coming from the United States has been very, very instrumental in taking forward the Tibetan diaspora community in the manner it should be taken. And we are still working on a lot of other programs and uh, Poonam and Marka here to represent and Tibet Fund and National Democratic Institutes are agents of uh, United US uh, AID. So they are also represented here, but the main work of USAID will be represented by Poonam and Mark at this conference. And uh, uh, there are very few of you. I haven't met the OISCA team uh, physically and our friend from Denmark. But otherwise, I think I've met all of you uh, once or more in uh, my travels around the world or if you're doing your visits here to Dharamsala. So I will today focus a little bit on the vision paper that the 16th cabinet has developed uh, with support from NDI. And this will, uh, I think, give you a much more broader idea of how uh, the cabinet of the Tibetan, Central Tibetan administration intends to move forward. And this is a living document. So this will change as we uh, accomplish our goals and then our goals will, objectives will also keep changing uh, as time goes. So this vision paper was released on 10th of April this year. And this, I think, is the first of its kind since we came into exile. Uh, we have not been able to go too much into detail about every single program that we want to do because it, otherwise it becomes too voluminous. So we have restricted it to a readable limit for people who can go through this document and understand what the, uh, or which direction the Central Tibetan Administration intends to go. So, slides too much. Yeah. We, when I stood for election last time in 2021, we worked on these three premises, equitable justice. So after the 16th cabinet came into being, we focused on collecting the needs of the community. All the needs are not just catering to people who come to your office and ask for certain help. So we looked, at, we looked at the overall need of the community so that we can deliver our services equitably to everybody who needs that service. Um, then the second was cooperative effort. So this meeting is also part of our cooperative effort. So it's not just cooperative effort within the Tibetan, Tibetan community in exile and the Tibetans inside, but it's also a cooperation between Tibetans and non-Tibetans who are supporting us and who has been supporting us for many decades. Then we never intend to now step back. So whatever we do, we set our objectives and if it takes 100 steps to reach there, even if we are able to take only two, three steps, we have to go in the right direction. And that is our intention. So there is no space of moving back to where we are, to be where we were. So now all our intention and all our programs are designed to move forward. So these are the three basic premises on which I stood my election and then got elected. It's just a matter of fact that last election there was pandemic and I didn't go out of my house. So we had online campaign. 
uh, and this was a new development in our democratic uh, process. So in this paper you will also find as to why Tibet matters. I will not go too deep into this because there's the situation, international situation is still very fluid. A lot of things are developing. Uh, all of us are aware of the dynamics that are happening. But we focus this on three issues. One is the geostrategic importance of Tibet. So historically, Tibet has been a buffer between the two most populous nations in the world, China and India. And there has never ever been a war between China and Tibet because there was always Tibet as a buffer. And many people think Tibet is very small, but it's 2.5 million square kilometers. I was saying last time, 18 times the size of Japan, 10 times the size of UK. So Tibet is very big. So because of its size and geographic conditions, Tibet has always played the role of a buffer between India and China. And now we intend to play the role of a bridge between India and China to build better relations if the Sino-Tibet conflict gets resolved. So the, the second importance of Tibet is the cultural importance. Now when the whole world is ridden with violence, the message of the Buddha, uh, which is transmitted by His Holiness the Dalai Lama all over the world, which is an ancient wisdom of India, and we are proud to call ourselves a repository of one part of ancient Indian wisdom, uh, which is still very, very relevant today. So this message is very important and it's ingrained in the Tibetan culture, Tibetan Buddhist culture. Then the third uh, importance of Tibet is the environmental importance of Tibet. Uh, I'm sure since you have been supporting Tibet for very long, you will know how important Tibet's plateau is for the whole region, not only for Tibet, but for all the neighboring countries around Tibet. Because the ten major rivers that originate from Tibet and goes into Pakistan, let's say Indus. And Indus <coughs> River originates from Tibet, goes into India, and then into Pakistan. And Indus is the foundation of or the uh, Indus Valley civilization. And the two major rivers of China, Yellow and the Yangtze, without which China cannot survive, also originate from Tibet. And we have witnessed uh, severe consequences of climate changes uh, and on the Yangtze last year when it dried up by 50% and there was no navigation and hydroelectricity production. Um, so other rivers that flow into Nepal, into India, <coughs> like the Brahmaputra that comes into Arunachal Pradesh, Assam and into Bangladesh, rivers that go into Burma like the Irrawaddy and the Sarvi, the rivers that go into Burma, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, and Thailand, like Mekong. So all these rivers originate from Tibet, and some estimate that 1.8 billion people in the downstream countries have something or the other to do with rivers that originate from Tibet. And in this age, when we are talking about climate change, uh, Tibet's plateau uh, takes center stage because the, the, the level of melting of ice or the speed of melting of ice on the Tibetan plateau is twice the speed of the average climate changes around the world. And some scientists say that the speed of climate change on the Arctic, on the poles, is three times than the normal, and Tibet is two times. Uh, so we call ourselves the land of uh, land heavenly abode, 
uh, land surrounded by snow mountain ranges. The Westerners called us roof of the world. Asians call it the water tower of Asia. The Chinese scientists today call Tibet as the third pole because Tibet has the largest amount of glaciers and permafrost that feeds all these major rivers. So it's so very important. We are not only talking about security of Tibet's environment in relation to flora and fauna and other things on Tibet, but also about food security. Food security, which is going to be very, very uh, uh, sensitive issue in the years to come. So sometimes when I speak to the public, I tell them, Today we are political refugees, but if you don't care for Tibet's environment, you might have so many environmental refugees in the future because a lot of downstream countries are already suffering. <coughs> so these are the strategic importance, why Tibet matters to the world, not only for the Tibetans. And then, of course, there are so many issues that are happening inside Tibet where the Chinese government is becoming more and more stringent in their uh, efforts in controlling not just the Tibetan population or the nationalities but also the Uyghurs or the East Turkestan. I don't like to call them Xinjiang, but that is the Chinese name for East Turkestan. And uh, in the last uh, uh, conference of the Tibet Academy in Beijing, the only thing they could come out was to name Xizang for Tibet. Because people, they tried to use that for many years, but they didn't succeed because not many people watch, know what Shizang means. So China's signification starts from the names of places, names of countries. So you can imagine the level of signification by the Chinese government to turn everything Tibetan into Chinese. So another few years from the few years down from now, if we look at Google Map, map we will not be able to find out which place is what, because it's all in Chinese names. And they have also done that same thing with uh, the new map that have come out a few days ago by including Jammu Kashmir, Asiachen, Arunachal Pradesh, Taiwan, and the whole of South China Sea by the Chinese government. So you can imagine the level of Chinese hegemonic aspirations in the region. Then, so uh, I will not spend too much time on the severity of the situation inside Tibet. It's unimaginable. Um, then we still we we are committed to the middle way approach. We have not changed our policy, even though we changed our strategy a little bit to focus on the historical status of Tibet as an independent state. Because not many people realize that His Holiness has climbed down from independence to autonomy to find a solution that is pragmatic, that is negotiable, that is based on non-violence and uh, finding a mutually beneficial uh, solution to this whole conflict. Uh, we know that within the developing communities also there are uh, proponents of independence and it's their right because we were historically independent. So now when we reach out to the international community, we do explain to the governments that Tibet has always been an independent state or independent government till Chinese communists uh, occupied Tibet in 1950-51. So, 
This is the strategy based on China's efforts over several decades to tell the world that Tibet has been part of China since time immemorial, as they say. So we don't know when time immemorial is. And they have not been able to prove their claims in the past that Tibet was part of China since 7th century, 13th century, 18th century. They have not been able to prove that. And the last two books that I carry, or all of us carry when we go and advocate for Tibet is Michael Van Wolf and Prague's Tibet Brief 2020, because he's a scholar, an international lawyer, and he has been associated with Tibet for many years, and with the Tibetans for many, many years. And uh, he worked for eight years, along with more than 70, 80 scholars in Inner Asia, and then wrote this book called Tibet Brief 2020. And as an international lawyer, from a legal perspective, he has proved that Tibet has never been considered part of China. And there is also a Chinese professor, Professor Lao Hantin, who is also now based in San Diego. And he has written a book, and his approach was completely different from Michael's. He referred only to the imperial Chinese historical records of the Yuan between 1278 to 1368. 1271 to 1368, mm -hmm. and the Ming from 1368 to 1644, and the Qings, who are the Manchus, from 1644 to 1911. And he proves beyond doubt that imperial China, based on the records, approved by imperial China, Tibet has never been considered part of China. So with these two books we go so that the world understand or at least there should be a recognition of the historical status of Tibet as an independent state, then only there will be a leverage or value to the Milway approach uh, being proposed by His Holiness the Dalai Lama and approved by the Tibetan parliament and which is being practiced by the cabinet today. So this we think is the only way forward to find a non-violent, negotiated, mutually beneficial, lasting solution to the Sino-Tibet conflict. There's no other way. And through this way, if we have to resolve the Sino-Tibet conflict, there's no other way than to reach out to the Chinese government. That's also a fact. So till such a time that we are not able to find a resolution to this Sino-Tibet conflict, our job is to reach out to the international community and tell the facts about Tibet and seek support from the international community on resolving the Sino-Tibet conflict. So this is our main responsibility, but at the same time, uh, we have a democratic system here, and the democratic system also takes a lot of time to manage it. So during the last two years, we spent a lot of time uh, in developing uh, uh, a system, which I will talk about later uh, here. So this is our first main responsibility to resolve the Sino-Tibet conflict and this is our position right now. So we do have back channels with the Chinese government but there's nothing concrete as yet. That's as much I can talk to you about the Sino-Tibet conflict right now or the negotiation or contact, building contacts. So our second responsibility is where you all come in, the welfare of Tibetans in exile. So uh, in this uh, case we will have several subheadings as to how we intend to move forward and then 
Of course, we have been spending a lot of time um, enhancing CDA's uh, central development administration's administrative efficiency and capacity where USAID is playing a very important role in helping us identify research and come out with recommendations as to how we need to move forward. So welfare of the Tibetans exile, just like any other community, Tibetans are very good, but you might also find that we do have division within the community. And democracy itself is divisive in nature, nature because when you have elections, you can all vote only for one person. So it is divisive, but particularly in our case and under the circumstances that the, under which we are functioning, it's very important that we have unity within the Tibetan community. And the Central Tibetan Administration, from the cabinet side and the executive side, we are very committed to fulfilling all the needs of the community and to bring about unity within the community. And we are committed, I have been telling my ministers, my colleagues, that we should spend 95% of our time on work. And maybe 5% we may have to spend here and there to listen to what people are saying and respond to all those. Because politics will never end. It will always be there till the end of this world or till everybody gains enlightenment. Its difference is only the pervasiveness and intensity of the politics at that time. But anything that we do as projects for the departments is measurable. It's something that we can fix, objectives that we can fix, something that we can achieve within that limited period. And people will measure us only from what we did not from the amount of politics we played. So we have focused, all of us are very focused on delivering the services to the community. Um, then preservation and promotion of Tibet's unique identity. Uh, that is very equivalent to the political activities. It's not, it's just, it's, it's two sides of our struggle. So one is the political struggle, where we, we have to reach out to the international community, where we have to reach out to the Chinese government. Uh, but on the other hand, what is so special about the Tibetans is its unique identity, so its language. Many people believe Tibetan language must have come from China because it's under China's occupation now. It's not. It just came from India. Tibetan religion also came from India. So the unique identity of Tibetans in the form of language and its culture must be preserved. And we have been under the leadership of His Holiness Dalai Lama over the last 64 years, we have been able to uh, establish most of the religious institutions and cultural institutions that were destroyed by China inside Tibet. Um, then we have to create an inclusive community. So all the projects that we will design from now on will involve uh, women metrics or child metrics in that as best beneficiaries. And then the inclusive, even though it's not very acute uh, problem within the Tibetan community, but we do have a certain number of LBGQT plus two, now it's becoming longer and longer. So all the communities, whether uh, it's normal people or people with physically challenged or mentally challenged, uh, issues so everybody has to be part of the community and we have to and then right now one of the challenges for us is also the dispersal of the Tibetan community from India and Nepal to other countries so Tibetans are spreading out more and more but physically we become more distant 
but we have to make sure that mentally we are close together, wherever we are. And then we have to create sustainable economic opportunities for the Tibetans. One of the reasons why the communities are getting dispersed is also because of the fact that we were not able to provide the economic opportunities or job opportunities for the Tibetans because most of the Tibetan settlements are in rural Indian villages and towns. So the job opportunities is, is definitely a challenge, but we'll definitely work more in our next phase towards promoting small and medium scale industries. And also we are thinking about uh, a lot of programs on uh, improving tourism, and promoting tourism, because that is one area that can uh, have potential for bringing in more livelihood opportunities for the Tibetans in the diaspora community. Then the last part is enhancing CDA's uh, administrative efficiency and capacity. Uh, unfortunately, so far, uh, the Central Tibetan Administration has never focused much on database. So we don't have a really good database, a database that can be used for many time, many years to come. There were databases, but they are not compatible again, are not uh, inconsistent with each other. So now we, are, we have to develop a good database. And if you ask Tibetans normally, they would say how many, they would say many. How many, many, they don't know. Or they would say too little, or the, how little, they don't know. So now we are focusing on numbers. So since the 16th cabinet has focused on numbers, Everywhere, uh, we, I, myself or, or my colleagues or the uh, leaders from the administration travel to the settlements, now everybody speaks about numbers. That we have that many acres of land, we have that many people, that many monks, school children and all that. So we are focusing on numbers because we want to reach a stage where we will set policies and programs based on numbers. So that even if it's not it cannot, even if it's not 100% scientific, but at least it will be a rational decision that the Central Tibetan Administration can take in our future uh, policies and programs. Then we have, over the last two years, uh, the Cabinet, uh, we spent most of our time in amending the existing guidelines uh, of the Administration and rules and regulations of the Central Tibetan Administration. So, <clears throat> There are some areas where we have to change the rules, some areas that we have to do within ourselves. So we are also into a lot of restructuring of the departments, focusing on delivery of services. So the departments will follow, will, will focus more on delivery of services, maintaining transparency of all the work that we do, and identifying new needs. So once the departments identify the new needs, then it will be included in the uh, budget for the following year. So that, and then also developing a standard administrative system. It is one unit, but so far every department is functioning on its own, more like that. So now there has to be a synchronized collective administrative system within the CTA that can be implemented by everybody. And our visits to the settlements over the last two years, we visited every single settlement. And our last part is Dharamsala. So after we finish this conference, I'm going to spend four days to visit the areas around Dharamsala. 
It's not just visiting there and going and talking with the public and come back. We visited every single place where the local population has identified, uh, identified as a need. So when we come back, it helps us in decision making because we have seen by ourselves the problems. So because of that, we have been, now we are in a position to develop short-term and long-term planning. Uh, earlier, it has not been so. If we are planning for next year, we take all the calls this year. Uh, from last year, we reached a stage where we are now able to prepare next year's budget in July, August. And this is also uh, because, because the different donors have different financial years. Some have from 1st April, some have from 1st January, some have uh, their project period, period program from October 1st. So because of that, that also, if we have to do smart planning, then we have to know the financial cycles of the donors and then adjust our programs accordingly or plan accordingly or budgeted accordingly. So this has helped us in developing short-term uh, planning and we have developed uh, short-term planning for 24-25, the ongoing year, 24-25 and 26-27. And our tenure is up to 26. So we will have to prepare the budget for 26-27 as well for the next cabinet or the incoming Sikyong and the cabinet to implement. But we now, I'm proud to say that we have reached certain level where we are able to identify all the needs and then see, uh, prioritize the needs and see which in which year it has to be implemented. But this will be an ongoing process. Um, and this is uh, one area which I think will focus more because once we started doing this, then we found that some of the donors' needs are going like this, and our donors' funds are going like this, and our needs are going like this. It's not matter. And this is one constant thing that we have been trying to work with the UN United States government because they don't fund infrastructure. And this is a perennial problem for us, and many of the organizations also don't fund infrastructure. Uh, Japan does, we know from the government side, but OISCA is a different thing. So, after my presentation, the SAD will identify those areas where we have problems in procuring uh, financial support for projects. Uh, otherwise, uh, just to give you an overall picture, Right now, we budget about 40 million US dollars in a year. That does not need, mean to say that all that money comes and all that money is spent. The actual expenses and the revenues are maybe a little lower. And out of that, only 8.5% come from the Tibetans. That's about $3 million. Only that much comes from the Tibetans in the form of voluntary contribution. Every Tibetan in India and Nepal contribute now in the present stage about 150 rupees and 50 rupees to, uh, uh, as, as a compensation to say that I'm not going to eat for two days and I'm going to contribute that money for the cost of Tibet. So you collect 200 rupees in one year. It has been recently been increased, otherwise it used to be 56 rupees in one year. And for Tibetans in outside India, Nepal, Bhutan, they contribute uh, $46. If, uh, if they are employed, they give another $50, so $96 in one year. So all that together, and then the Central Tibetan Administration staff and people who work in public offices, they all contribute 
2% or 4% of the gross or net salary, whichever is higher. So all that comes to about $3 million and the rest comes from governments, Indian government, from the United States government. And we also have representation from other governments but who fund through non-governmental organizations. And as you can see here in this conference, I think you are represented by more than 20 different organizations. Earlier, we used to have about 50, 60 different organizations. Uh, of course, some members could not come for this conference, but certain number have come down. So the priorities of organizations are also changing, their structures are also changing, and you know some don't exist. So I'm very glad that through this meeting, if we can understand your objectives, your capacity, and also your concerns when you support uh, CDA, if you have any concerns about utilization of funds and, or any other matters, we would be very happy to listen to that so that we can make improvisation at our end. Um, then uh, we also have, uh, initially we thought that we will honor you with a small presentation present uh, here at this conference, but the cabinet decided that since you are all very important and have, have been there for the cause of Tibet for so many years, it would be more um, uh, uh, yeah, appropriate to make the presentation at the Democracy Day celebration. And those who are not going to be at the Democracy Day celebration, we can uh, make the uh, presentation here. But the rest of the members, we would like to do it at the larger gathering when there are a lot of Tibetans at the Tsulakhan, uh, at the venue of the official. And then on 2nd September, we will have uh, uh, audience with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Uh, uh, on, on 2nd September, on 31st night, tonight, uh, there will be dinner by the departments. Uh, because every department, they say, we need time to mm. offer to our donors, uh, but then it's not possible. We have only two days. So this tonight is the only day, night, where uh, the departments will be involved in uh, hosting a dinner for you. And tomorrow night, we will have a cultural program. Uh, as you may know, there was a lot of rain in Himachal Pradesh, and a lot of people died. And because of that, uh, the Himachal Chief Minister also has been asking people not to celebrate it is a non, not a moment for celebration, it's a moment for grievance and to show our solidarity with the people of Himachal Pradesh and the state government of Himachal Pradesh. We also don't want to organize any cultural program on Democracy Day, which we normally organize because a joyous occasion for us, establishment of democratic governance in exile. <coughs> Mm, so instead of that, we will have a cultural program because since you have come from so far, so we'll have a cultural program for our delegates uh, on the first night. So we will be where you will be exposed to Tibetan. I'm sure many of you must have already seen uh, or witnessed Tibetan cultural programs, but it's an opportunity for us to showcase uh, this not as a matter of celebration. So we are not inviting any other except uh, the delegates here. And on the second, you will find that there is no choice, dance, and cultural programs. So with this, I want to thank you again.
for your participation and uh, on behalf of the cabinet, on behalf of all the CDA staff and the CDA uh, institutions, uh, uh, even the So all the three pillars of democracy, all the three autonomous institutions, all the departments, secretaries are represented here. So all the top leaders of Central Tibetan Administration from the executive side is represented here. Then you also have all the project officers of the departments who are also responsible for taking care of you when you are here and also to understand your capacity, your intentions, your objectives of the organization so that we will be in a better position to make projections for future. If we don't have those data, it's not possible for us to plan long term. But thank you very much again and I look forward to a very fruitful two days conference and this will definitely help us in mapping our finance and then planning our finance. And please be candid about your views. We will not take any offense if you have anything bad to talk about us. And I think it's always good to talk about bad things, then we can make improvement from there. If there is any bad thing to talk about, you're always welcome to speak about all the good things and bad things. Thank you.